morning, everyone. <coughs> Thank you for coming to this session again today. We're going to do some. Uh, we're going to do some teaching, and then I'm going to get you to do some practical things in this session. So uh, you won't just be sitting, hopefully, for too long. So yesterday we were talking about our personality and how God wants to use who we are in uh, a natural way so that when we share the gospel, that comes across as natural, not something twisted or that we're trying to force ourselves to be, that God gave us our personalities. He made us the people that we are and he doesn't intend us to share the gospel in a different way. You know, there are, you know we are all different. And uh, that's good. Just look around. Say to somebody, it's good you're different. Yeah, yeah. If you were all like me, you know, I mean, it would be not good, not good. It's good we're different, you know. And I, I, I've, I love the fact that God didn't just push out a, a sausage machine of everyone the same, you know. You know, when we look, we have infinite different uh, uh, facial features with body features, or we have uh, personalities that are different, and yet God created every one of us, you know. And man is just, you know, he can't do that. Even, you know, you look at the terracotta warriors in, in China, and, you know, that they're all different, but the basic body is the same. You know, the facial features, they might have changed, but, you know, because man wants to make everything the same, but God didn't. He said, I just want to give infinite variety, you know. And just looking out the window, as I'm looking out, I look, I think, how many different types of green are they just looking out the window? And, you know, it makes you think, how is God's imagination? That, you know, we would think of green, well, green, one green, you know. Then he thinks of 50 different shades or a thousand different shades. It's, you know, it's good that we're different. And uh, I think it shows how much God cares about us and how much uh, he loves us and how much he loves the people of this world. And that the fact that he's made us different, why would he all want us then to all conform to one tight, rigid way of doing things. He's given us a different personality. He's given us different differences. And I believe that he's done that with a purpose. So be happy with who you are, is what I'm saying. You know, you know I used to for many years think, oh, if only I was so-and-so. You know, If I was Reinhard Bonker or... Although I, I, I did go to Reinhard Bonker in Germany recently and very strange things started happening. People kept on coming and sitting down next to me and smiling at me and, you know, being a bit... And eventually I said to one guy, uh, I said, what's going on? He said, are you Reinhard Bonker's brother? <laughs> I said, yes. <laughs> he said, really? I said, well, in the Lord I am. <laughs> but, yeah. So, and we also looked about God's desires yesterday. It's God's desire that no one should perish. So today we're going to be looking at telling our story eventually. You know, Jesus said, um, not Jesus, Paul said, always prepare, be prepared to give an answer to those who ask you for the reason for your faith. You know, if we are living the Christian life, I believe that ultimately people will ask why we're different, you know? If they, if, if they see something about our personality, something about our nature, and we're reflecting Jesus to this world, people are going to start to ask questions. You know, they might uh, couch those questions in different ways, but they will start to ask about, you know, well, why can you be at peace? Why, you know, why are you like you are? When you're... 
And at that point, it gives us a great opportunity to tell them our experience. Um, you know, I talked to you yesterday about uh, the fact that um, your story is relevant. You know, I, I, I got saved at a stage, you know, I, I mean, I got saved out of a motorcycle gang. But I used to think, you know, I, we had these constant stream of guys come through our church that had these, what I would call mega testimonies, you know. And I thought you needed to embroider your testimony, you know. You know, you, you didn't tell lies, but you made it sound as awful as possible, you know. Because, you know, that was the way I, you know, the example I'd had, everyone that came through our church, you know, was a drug addict at five, a prostitute by the time they were 14, you know. And you just thought, that, wow, you know, I didn't have a life like that. So, you know, I, I started to, to, you know, emphasize the negative points and downplay the positive points. So that, but I realized, you know, actually my story is relevant for who I am, you know, and your story is relevant as well, you know. It doesn't matter, you know, what your story is, it will touch some people's lives. Some people say, well, I haven't got testimony, I was brought up in a Christian family. Praise God! You know, my kids were brought up in a Christian family, they're going on with God. Their story is, they saw something in life, in their family, they didn't want to go off the edge, you know. And their story is we didn't need to look at the world. We saw that something that was far better in our home life, you know. And, you know, that's a powerful story because there's a lot of kids that were brought up in Christian households that did go off the rails. And they're so, so why you, if you were brought up in a Christian household, didn't go off the rails is a powerful thing for them to see. You know, maybe they didn't quite have the experience of God that you had. And your story will relate, they will be able to relate to that because of their experience and because of your experience. You know? And as I said yesterday, your story has power because it's difficult to challenge. You know, people might challenge your theology, they might challenge uh, what you've heard has happened elsewhere. You know, we tell stories about other people's testimonies, things that we've heard. You know, even some of the stories I told this morning, you know, people sometimes say, really, Tim? You know, really? Did those things really happen, you know? <laughs> Yeah, and, and to be honest with you, on one or two occasions, some of the things I've seen, uh, you know, 40 years later, I'm thinking, did that really happen? <laughs> you know, the devil comes along and he tries to sort of steal things from us, you know. Uh, but when you start talking about your personal experience, it has power. You remember I asked you a question uh, yesterday. Did you ever have that experience where you're talking to somebody about your faith and then you've walked away, and when you're walking down the road, you think, oh, blow, I wish I'd said that. You know? And I suggested to you that maybe you weren't as prepared as you ought to have been. You know? Um, and in truth, that's happened to me many times. You know, I, I, I've had situations where I've talked with people, and I thought, oh, I should have said that, or I should have said this. And, uh, you know, if, you're, if you've done some preparation to tell your story, to share the gospel message, to prepare yourself, then I think we can minimize those, those occasions where we walk away feeling that we haven't done the best that we can do. You know, I think that as children of God, God expects us to have children and grandchildren. You know, if a young couple get married and years go by and they don't have children, it's normally because there's a problem. You know, 
Loving relationships normally result in having a family, having children. And if we are in a loving relationship with God, then I think if that's true, then ultimately it means that every one of us in this room should start having spiritual children. I think that is the natural outworking of our relationship with our Heavenly Father through Jesus. That as we get to know him more, as we express our love, we want to tell other people about him and we start leading to people to Jesus, and in a sense, they start becoming our disciples, just as the 12 were Jesus' disciples. He commanded them to go and make disciples. He didn't say go and take them to church. He said go and make disciples. Take people, and they become your children. You know, I've got uh, the one girl that got saved. I told the story this morning, how she came into church, because she'd followed me, because I looked like an angel. Somebody did ask whether she was (laughs) short-sighted. But uh, she regularly comes up to me and she comes up to me and she says, Tim, I need to introduce you to this person. She said, this is Deborah. I said, oh yeah, it's nice to meet you, Deborah. And she said, no, Deborah is your granddaughter. I said, excuse me? I don't think so. There's no children. She said, no, I'm your spiritual daughter and I've led Deborah to the Lord. And so Deborah is your granddaughter. And she's constantly coming up and introducing me to my grandkids. The other week, Deborah came up to me and said, Tim, I need to introduce you to Susan. So I said, well, who's Susan? She said, she's your great-granddaughter. <laughs> you know, I believe that we should have spiritual children. And if we disciple our spiritual children, we will have spiritual grandchildren. And because we've discipled our children, they will disciple their children and they will have great-grandchildren. I've now got great-great-great-great-grandchildren. And I think that's normal Christian living. And if it's not happening, just as with a natural couple, if they don't have children, something's wrong. If we're not having spiritual children, something's wrong. And I think, you know, it's not the church that I meant to... We are the church. It's not an organization. We are the church. We are the people that are meant to... uh, be bringing people into God's kingdom. We are the people that are meant to be sharing our faith and leading to people to Christ. And as an evangelist, I find it incredibly exciting to lead people to Jesus. I think it is one of the most thrilling things that you can do in Christian life. You know, and I'm blessed because so often I turn up at a meeting when all you guys have done all the work. You know, you've loved people, you've shared your faith with them. And, you know, you've done all the hard work and you've brought, finally they've come to a place where they come to a meeting where you've got someone like me and I just get up and say something and they all come forward and give their lives to Jesus. And everyone says, oh, what a powerful evangelist he is, you know. Yet, it's you guys that have done the work. And what I want to encourage you is that don't just leave it for other people like me. You know, take it that extra step. You know, do the things that you're doing, but get to, when you get to a place where you know, they're ready, ask them the question. You know, it's simple. You can, you can couch a question quite simply and say to people, uh, we actually, I'll, I'll show you a drawing. I, I've used this, I've done this, uh, I was on a bus talking to somebody, and you know, it was dub- like you have in London, it was a double-decker bus, it was all steamed up, and, and I do this, did this drawing on the steam of the window. You know, and uh, the guy had asked me about my faith. 
And so I explained to him that in the beginning there was man and there was God. You'll have to forgive my drawing skills, they're very limited. I'm not artistic at all. <laughs> but a man and God were in relationship. And the trouble was sin came into the world and separated man and God. All the things that, you know, man chose to go his own way and that separated us from God. And ever since then, man has been trying to make his way back to God. He's done all sorts of things. He's done good works. He's, uh, he goes to church. Perhaps he even reads the Bible, you know. Uh, he likes to be kind to other people, you know. But none of these things that he's doing has bridged the gap between him and man. And God was as unsatisfied with this situation as man was. So God decided that he was going to do something and he sent his son into the world to bridge the gap. And his son came into the world and died on a cross to make a bridge that we could cross over between us and God, which would close the chasm. And then I finished by saying to people, well, where do you think you are on this? You know? And that, if you ask the question like that, you're not saying, do you want to get saved? You're saying, where do you think you are? And I say, maybe you're here. You know? You're not really thinking about God things. You're a long way away from that bridge. Huh? Or perhaps you're here. Yeah? I say, where do you think you are? And if they say, well, I think I'm here, I might say, well, you know, you might want to start thinking about God things, you know, and I might invite them to come along to something like Alpha. But if they say, well, actually, I've thought about it a lot, and I think, you know, I'm here, I'm at the edge, I'd like to cross over, then it's a simple thing to say, well, I can pray with you now. Would you like to invite Jesus into your heart? You know, and I've done this on napkins in restaurants. I've done it on steamed up windows. But just a very simple way of finding out. You're not saying, are you in or out? You're saying, where are you? You know, and I think that's a good question to ask people. Where are you? You know, they might say, well, I don't really have any religious beliefs. I think it's all fairy tales, you know. Uh, my neighbor said that. He said, I'm an atheist. I don't believe in God. So at that point, it told me something about him. I realized, well, if he's an atheist, I have to undermine his atheist views. So I started to love on him, you know, and started to, you know, do good things for him, like I was telling you yesterday, and just bless him. And slowly but surely, that love broke through, and he started to believe that maybe there was something more. Maybe there was a God. And when he started to believe that maybe there was a God, he knocked on our door and asked us to pray for his son. As I told you yesterday, we prayed for his son. His son was, you know, su survived. You know, he was born at, what, two kilos? Two, what's that, 4.4 pounds? Uh, very premature, but he survived. And then months later, his wife knocked on our door and asked us to pray for him when they punctured his lungs. You know. And he survived again, you know. And slowly, you know, from being atheists, they became believers in a power, in a God that could do something. They're still not saved, but they're, they've moved from here to maybe here. And I believe that well, one day they will come to that point where they're at the edge and I'll be able to say to them, well, okay, don't you think it's time to invite God into your life? Yeah? So we can ask people questions that will help us share what we, we believe with them, you know. 
And, and it's important to listen. I always say to people, God gave us two ears and one mouth. Perhaps we should listen twice as much as we talk. You know, because as you listen to people, they will tell you things about themselves that will help you share your faith with them. You know, I uh, became a model airplane builder because I had a friend that was a model airplane builder and he didn't want to talk about anything else. So I built a model airplane and down the side of my model airplane, I wrote, Jesus loves you. And uh, when I turned up with it, he looked at it, he said, what is that? I said, well, I thought, you know, you needed to know that Jesus loves you. He said, he said you're winding me up now, Tim. <laughs> but, you know, I built this plane and, I, you know, that could have been the end of it. But he was teaching me to fly. So we went up in the air and he said, you push this one and you push that one and that. And we got up in the air and I pushed this one. He said, Tim, you pushed it the wrong way. It's going to crash. Let me. And, I said, and down came the plane and crashed. And then we spent weeks rebuilding it. You know, Paul said, I've become all things to all men that by all means I might save some. You know, I listened to him and he told me he was interested in modern aeroplanes. Well, once I'd finished, I wanted to carry on the times that we'd had together building the plane. So I crashed it. <laughs> I didn't care about the plane. I cared about the man. And, you know, we spent hours rebuilding it. And we wrote Jesus as Lord. Oh, he said, you're not going to do that to me again, are you? And I said, yeah because he still loves you. Uh, and, uh, you know, I think if we're going to share our faith with people, we need to listen to what they're telling us. You know, I have a friend who uh, was learning, his friend was learning Spanish. And he decided that he would go to Spanish lessons because he wanted to spend time with this person. And uh, so I got him a Spanish Bible. So he said, Tim, what am I going to do with that? I said, well, you're learning Spanish. So I said, you can start to use the Bible to talk to your friend about your Spanish. You know, so he started sharing these scriptures with his friend in Spanish because his friend's learning Spanish. He's learning Spanish. So his friend's, what, what are you saying? He said, well, it's here in this book. He said, what's this book? He said, it's the Bible. He said, how do you get a Spanish Bible? So they started to learn Spanish together, although they were going to a class, but by reading the Bible. So he's sharing his interest in Spanish, but sharing the gospel through his interest. You know? yeah. We need to listen to what people tell us their interests are, and maybe that gives us opportunity to share our faith with them. Yeah. Now, Jesus was known as the friend of sinners. You know, sometimes when I got saved... The church came to me because I got saved out. I told you I got saved out of a motorcycle gang. The first thing the church said to me was I had to cut off all contact with my non-Christian friends. And somebody said to me, if you're standing on a table, it's easier to pull you off the table than to pull your friends up onto the table. And it sounded very spiritual. So I did it. But it meant none of my friends became Christians because I cut myself off from them. You know, And we're called, we're not, we're in this world, but we're not of this world. That doesn't mean we have nothing to do with the people around us. You know, I've heard Christians say, oh, well, you don't want, they're sinners. You know, that's, I, I hear the Pharisees saying those sort of things in the Bible. You know. we, we're called to be light to these people around us. We don't agree with everything they do, but we need to give them time to spend with us, and we need to make the effort to spend time with them doing things that they might like, because as we do things that they want to do, they will get to know more about us and maybe start to show an interest in what we're interested in. Yeah? 
Jesus, they called him a friend of sinners. I think that's amazing. They didn't mean it nasty. When I worked for British Gas, they used to call me the sky pilot. Yeah, I was so heavenly minded, I was no earthly good, they said. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, when you're working with guys who work on a building site, they can give you a real hard time, you know. And they used to, some of the things they said about me. And one day, one day this guy came into our, our depot and he was determined he was going to give me a hard time. And he started having a go at me and he said, I can do anything that you can do. You're weak and insignificant. You need God to prop you up. I said, you can't do anything I can do. He said, yes, I can. I said, no, you can't. I said, I can do things you can't. He said, tell me one thing and I'll do it. So I dropped to my knees. I said, I'm going to pray. Will you join me? And everybody in the room looked and he stood there and everyone's looking at him. No one's looking at me on my knees. They're looking at him. Are you going to do it? And he ran out of the room. He never gave me a hard time again. And I prayed that day for him and everyone else in the room. People have objections, but, you know, we need to be God to them. Our lives can be a great witness of our faith in Jesus. You know, personal evangelism involves more than just building friendships and hoping that others will notice that, uh, that we're different. Ultimately, it will require us to say something. You know, and uh, I think one of the most powerful things we can share with people is our story. I'm just looking... We talked about, you know, how you let people know that you have a, a spiritual side to you. You know, we talked about what you say about what you did at the weekend or what you did in the evening. You know, just let people know. It's as simple as saying, you know, well, you know, I went to church. You don't have to say any more. But at that point, you're just putting a flag up saying that I have a spiritual side. And then when they ask the question, you need to be prepared. Paul says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 4, verse 5 and 6. He says, be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Don't put hurdles in their ways. You know, we started to talk, got into talking about homosexuality and transsexuality and things like that yesterday. You know, a lot of Christians put huge hurdles in people's way before they even know Jesus, you know? And, and, and they're putting up barriers to them getting to know Jesus because of the, the things we say and do. We're picking fights that we don't need to. And uh, we need to be wise in the way we walk to exercises at, at work how we act towards outsiders. We need to make the most of every opportunity. So if we're listening, you know, I was talking with a head teacher. I was chairman of the governors at one of our local schools, and I was talking with the head teacher, and she told me, well, I'm, she was interested in reading biographies. I said, I've just read a really good biography. She said, yeah. She said, can I borrow it? I said, yeah. It was George Whitfield's biography. So I gave it to her. And uh, a few weeks later, she came back and gave me the book back. I said, did you read it? She said, yes. She said, I said, what did you, did you enjoy it? She said, well, she said, it's different to any biography I've written before. She said, do you think those things really happened? I said, what things? She said, well, it says in there that, you know, people got healed and, you know, and people became Christians and all this stuff. She said, did those things really happen? I said, yes. She said, how do you know? 
that they really happened. I said, well, because they're still happening now. She said, what? <laughs> and through listening to what she was interested in, I made the most of the opportunity, gave her something she was interested in, and it gave me another opportunity to share my faith with her. And we sat and chatted about his life and about ultimately led, led into chatting about what was happening now and the things that I had seen. So, you know, it says, make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be full of grace. That tells us something about the way we should talk with people who, who are outside of the kingdom. You know, it says full of grace, undeserved favor. You know? we, we need to show people love. We need to, you know, share our faith in such a way that we want them to know more. You know, uh, there are some Christians uh, you walk down the road with and you see people see them coming and they go across on the other side of the road. You know, I've done that on occasions, walk down the street with people and, uh, you know, I see people down the road and they see one particular friend of mine and I know when people see him, they're off and across the other side of the road. You know, it's just like, you know, we're big, taking a wedge down the road and they're going because they do not want to talk to him because every time he talks to them, he nails them, you know. And, you know, his behavior offends them and they don't want to be treated like that. You know? Paul says, let your conversations be seasoned with salt. You know, salt, if you put salt on your tongues, it makes you thirsty. Well, you know, a lot of the, you know, Pringles. You ever have Pringles? Yeah, they're lovely. And you know what's their slogan? Once you pop, you can't stop. Why is it? Because they're covered in salt. Once you start eating them, your body wants more, more of that salt. And you keep on popping them in until the pot's empty. We all know it's true. They know it's true. They're selling it to us that way. Because we know you want, you know, your bodies want salt. And we are dose you up with it so that you get it. Yeah? And Paul says to the Colossians, let your conversations be seasonable salt. Let them have a desire to know more, not less. You know, I walked into our local Indian corner shop. There's a guy called Raj, and uh, he's taking his shirt off. And I think, this is a strange thing to be doing in the middle of a day. You know, I thought, Raj, what are you doing? You're getting undressed in the shop. I thought he'd gone loopy. And then when he took his shirt off, he had a corset on underneath it. And I go, what on earth are you wearing, Raj? He said, I damaged my back years ago. And he said, I'm in so much pain that I have to wear this corset to keep my uh, posture right to stop the pain. He said, but on hot sunny days like today, it itches like crazy. So he said, I've got to take it off. So he peels his corset off. So I said, I used to have a bad back. He said, really? He said, what did you do to get rid of it? I said, I got prayed for in church. He went, really? So I said, yeah. I said, I went to church one Sunday. Somebody had a word of knowledge. He said, what's a word of knowledge? I said, well, God told them there was somebody there with a bad back. And I went forward and they prayed with me. And I, I never had a problem with my back since. He said, how did you get the problem with your bow back? I said, well, I fell 30 foot off a roof when I was working. You know, I stepped, my wife says, I stepped back to admire my work and stepped off the roof. But I literally fell 30 feet into the garden and, uh, you know, damaged my back quite badly. And, uh, but I was prayed for and healed. He said, that's amazing. He said, I'm Hindu. He said, I went and spent a month in a special Hindu place in India for them to minister to me. And he said, I come back and it made no difference. So I said, oh, I said, well, we occasionally do healing meetings. Perhaps you could come along to one. So he said, oh, I'd like to do that. So I left. 
Then a few days later, my wife comes home. She said, I've just been into Raj. He's asked me some questions. So I said, what did he ask you? He said, he asked me whether what you said was true. <laughs> so she said to him, what did he say? I said, well, surely you said, yes, it's true. Then asked him what he said. Well, I needed to know what he said to know whether you've been telling the truth. I thought, thank you, love. <laughs> but uh, she t he told her what I'd said. And she said, yeah, that's true. He got healed. So he said, well, he said he was going to tell me about a healing meeting. He hasn't told me. She said, well, I'll, I'll remind him. So the next time I go in, I've printed a leaflet, just one. Because we've just got a meeting. It's not particularly a healing meeting. But I printed one leaflet saying it is a healing meeting for him. <laughs> so I come in, and he said to me, are you ever going to even tell me when this healing meeting is? I said, I've got a leaflet for you. I said, here it is. We've got a healing meeting. He said, oh, it's at 7.30. I said, yes, that probably said... Well, I don't close the shop till 8 o'clock. I said, come at 8 o'clock, you'll be fine. At 25 past 7, Raj walks into the meeting. I say, Raj, what are you doing here? Who's looking after the shop? He said, I closed early. He said, I need my back healed. You know? And you know, we didn't give him the whole deal. We left him hungry. You know, he kept on coming back and saying, oh, tell me more, tell me when I can get healed. You know? And you know, I purposely did that because... Because you know, I wanted to, him to, you know, I didn't want him, I wanted him to feel that he was controlling. Whereas I knew who was the God, that God was. And, you know, he came along and he got healed. Huh? He's still not saved, but, you know, he knows that the God we worship did things that the God he worshipped couldn't do. So, yeah. So we need to be wise. We need to leave people hungry. We don't need to give them the whole deal at once. If we're in a relationship... We can take time with people. We can let them set the pace. You know, they're individuals. We need to let them set the pace. We need to leave them hungry. You know, James says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproach. You know, if we, you know, if we, lack, if we don't have wisdom... That's not a wrong thing. We, we just need to ask God for wisdom. Mm. Yeah? Sometimes we don't know. I, sometimes I don't know how to talk to people. I don't know what things... So I'm constantly having a conversation with God. And if I'm going somewhere and I know I'm going to meet somebody and I've had a conversation with before, I say, God, well, what do you want me to talk to them about this time? And then if I, once I, I feel like I know what God wants me to say, then if I need to do some research beforehand, I'll do that. Maybe I have some scriptures at hand and I know confident, you know, because I haven't got the greatest of memory. I don't remember chapter and verse, you know. But I do prepare. And, you know, if I think, oh, that scripture would be good, I make sure that I know the chapter and verse so that I can write it down for them. So if they wanted to, they can go home and read it later, you know. It says, if any of you lack wisdom, ask God who gives to all men generously and without reproach, and it might be given to him. No, it will be given to you. you know? It's not wrong to say to people, I don't know, but I know a man who does. You know, we know God, and we've, we have people in leadership in our churches who we can ask. You know, the worst thing people are, really hate, waffle. You know, if you go somewhere and start to give them waffle, you know, uh, Non-Christians have a waffle detector, you know. If they think you're talking crap, they'll tell you, you know. <laughs> and, you know, once you're exposed, you know, you, you have nothing. But, you know, to actually to say, well, you know, I don't know it all, but I'll find out the answer to that. He says, make the most of the opportunities. B, 
Be ourselves. We've talked about that as well. Be prepared. Paul says, but in your heart, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. I can't emphasize that enough, you know. We have to respect people we're talking to. You know, and, and we're, you know, we're not in an aggressive battle. You know, some Christians, the way they talk about evangelism, about a fight, you know, I don't believe that that's the way God wants us. We're not in a, we are in a sense in a fight for people's souls, but it, we're not to, in a confrontational battle. We need to be gentle and respectful towards people. He says, set apart Christ as Lord in your life. Well, do it Christ's way, in other words. Be prepared to answer everyone. So, how do we answer everyone? Well, I think one of the things we can prepare, which I want to talk about in this session, is, is sharing your story. I said already, your story's powerful. Uh, you know, this happened a lot in the Bible. People shared their story. They told people what had happened to them with great power. And, you know, the woman who was at the well went in and said, come and meet a man who's told me everything I ever did. And the whole village went out to hear him, you know. You imagine on your way home, you stop at the motorway service station, because that's effectively what Syca was. Jesus was on his way from one place to another. They stopped at Syca for a meal and a drink. Motorway service station. You imagine being at motorway service station and God says, speak to this person. You start speaking to them and then they run and get their whole family and 200 people stop two days at the service station to hear what you've got to say. Because that's what happened this day. They couldn't go on with their journey because the villagers said, stay. It wasn't a planned crusade, but the whole village came out and heard Jesus speak and compelled him to stay longer so they could hear more. Well, I think that would be amazing, wouldn't it? If we stopped at Watford Gat services and had a crusade there for a couple of three days. You laugh, but I think it could happen. Yeah. So, what are people interested in knowing about you? Well, first thing is, why are you a Christian? How did you become a Christian? What attracted you to Christ? You know, think about these things. You know, what, is it, what is it that may, means, you know, why, why you're a Christian? You know, how did you become a Christian? The practical details, you know, so that someone else could, if you told them how you became a Christian, they could do the same and become a Christian themselves. And what was it that made you want to be a Christian? It's good to think these three things through so you can prepare to share what are the most important facts with people in a way that's easily to understand. You know, I used to have a computer business and we used to sell computer networks into London and uh, it was a great business for a while. And people would often come up to me and they'd say, Tim, I need to buy a computer for my house. Can you tell me what I need? So I would start talking about memory and megabytes and gigabyte hard drives and what graphics card you needed. And slowly I noticed this sort of glazed look come across people's eyes, you know. And, you know, what I realized was the lights were on, but no one was at home any longer. They had stopped listening to what I was saying because they didn't understand. I was talking in a language that they couldn't comprehend. And at that point, I'd have to turn around, stop and say, excuse me, you're not really understanding. They said, no, just tell me what computer I need. And they wanted to know they needed a Dell 456 or whatever it was. You know, they didn't need to know all the technical stuff. 
You know? But the trouble was, I noticed when I was sharing my faith with people sometimes, the same glazed look comes across their face. Because I started talking in religious ease, a language that they didn't understand, you know. You know, I'd say, well, you need to get saved. And they'd think, well, what do you mean by that, saved? You know, I'm not in trouble, you know. Uh, you know and, you know, all sorts of things that we talk about that are normal for us as Christians that we understand, but are just complete gobbledygook to people in this world. So, you know, I think if we're going to tell our story, we need to be able to tell it in a way that everyone can understand. You know, uh, we need to get rid of the religious language. We need to think about what are the important events, you know. For me, I hang my, my story on, on three what I call sort of coat pegs, really. The first one is, what was my life like before I became a Christian? The second one is, how I became a Christian. And the third one is, what difference has being a Christian made in my life? Now, having these three pegs, it means I don't have to remember a whole thing. I can start at any three of those. You know, somebody says, might say to me, well, you're a Christian. Why did you become a Christian? So I might then start at one and say, well, you know, I was in a motorcycle gang. I uh, was at school. I, uh, when I was 11 years of age at school, the headmaster called my parents in and told me that my brain didn't work properly, that I, I, the best they could hope for would be to teach me enough maths to count my wage packet, and uh, hopefully they would teach me some English. And they said, you know, we'll get him a job filling up shelves in Tesco's when he leaves school. And that actually happened. That's what they said. Yeah. And I had, at that point, I realized I had no hope and no future. And then I met this group of Christians who said that God had a plan for my life. A plan to give me a future and a hope. Yeah. And at that point, you know, having been in a motorcycle gang, because I'd rebelled against everything, and thought, well, if you don't have a plan, if you don't think I have any future, then I won't have a future, but I'm not going to give it going quietly. I'm going to go in noisily, you know, and rebelled against the whole thing. But suddenly I met somebody who loved me and said, I've got a hope and a future. And at that point, I wanted that. Yeah? So now I've moved from what my life was like to what attracted me to Christ. And I say, you know, and I was sort of in a meeting. I heard this and I thought, I want that relationship. And I said to God, please come into my life and take control. I want to have everything you've promised me. And the difference it's made is I, I was a failure going somewhere to happen and now I have a future and a hope. And everything that God promised me has come true. You know, in 1975, God said to me, you will preach all around the world. And I laughed because I'd been saved for six months and I said, you know, I was listening to Billy Graham preach, and God said, this is what you're doing. I laughed. I said, it's not going to happen. And I said, the next day, God said to me, well, one day you'll lead the youth work in the church. And I laughed again, and I thought, because I thought the youth leader in our church was the next best thing to God. And uh, uh, I thought, that's never going to happen. And the following day, he said, when you get home from this conference, you'll be asked to teach in Sunday school. And something in me went, that could happen. That might just happen. The Sunday after I got back from the conference, I walked into church and the Sunday school superintendent walked up to me and said, Tim, he said, we've noticed you've got a gift and we want to use it. And I'm thinking, wow, 
The church have noticed I've got a gift. I wonder what gifted, super spiritual thing this is I have that they feel they can use. I said, what is it? They said, well, we want you to teach in Sunday school. I went, what? I said, I said why? They said, well, we've got this group of really troublesome young boys and the ladies who teach in Sunday school cannot control them. And we have noticed every time you walk anywhere near these kids, they become very quiet and sit down and shut up. My gift was I frightened little boys. <laughs> you know, I was wearing a leather jacket and jeans and I had long hair and when they got near, I got near them, they sat down and shut up. You know, whatever your gift is, God can use it. Yeah? God used that gift and because I did my best to frighten young boys, I thought, I'm going to use this gift. <laughs> you know, if you use a gift that God's given you, you know, what happens? You, you think about the parable of the talents. You use what you're given, and God says, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful in a few things. I'll release you into bigger things. And, you know, as I used the things that God gave me, I went from teaching in Sunday school to leading the youth work to pastoring the church to traveling the world and preaching the gospel to thousands of people. Yeah? God has a plan. That's my story. Yeah? Failure going somewhere to happen to a man who stepped into God's plan for his life. Yeah? And I can tell that without using a lot of religious language. But the good thing about it is people say, you know, they'll ask you, you know, all sorts of things. And you can start at the beginning, like I do sometimes, or you can start in the middle, why you became a Christian, or you can start at the end and then go back. You know, sometimes I say, well, you know, they said, well, you know, what do you do? I said, well, I'm a Christian. I said, I go around the world preaching the gospel. What, what, how did you end up doing that? I said, so then I said, well, I wasn't always this way. You know, I started off in a month. So I start off by telling where I am now. Then I go back to the beginning and go to, into the middle. You know? It just gives you a, hmm. you know, there are examples of people sharing their story. John 1, verse 40 to 42. One of the ones who heard John speak, followed Jesus, was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother, Simon, and said to him, we have found the Messiah. He brought him to Jesus, and Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, the son of John. You should be called Cephas, which means, translated, means Jesus. So all that, Simon, uh, all that um, Andrew did was tell his experience. He shared his experience. John 4 28 to 30, the woman at the well, we've already talked about her. She went into the city and she shared her experience. Everyone came out. You know? They didn't have great theological arguments. They shared what had happened to them. You know? She wasn't, you know, I find it amazing. She wasn't even sure whether she had met the Messiah. She said, could it be the Messiah? She didn't know all the facts. You know? And I think that's greatly encouraging for all of us. You don't need to know everything to get people to respond to your story. You know, she said, could it be the Messiah? She spent this time talking with Jesus and she had an inkling that he was, but she didn't know it for sure. But she knew enough to invite other people to come and meet him. The blind man says to the Sanhedrin, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I do know, I was blind and now I see. They all shared their experience and their experience challenged the people around them and there were differing responses. Peter says, do this with gentleness and respect. Yeah? So your story. What's the important things in your story? Yeah? Think about it for a minute. I'm going to get you to write out your stories in a minute. Oh, we've just got time. And what I want you to do is write 
one or two sentences under each of these headings. What was your life like before you became a Christian? How did you become a Christian? And what difference has being a Christian made in your life? And I want you to do it without any religious language. Now, you know, we live in a soundbite world. You know, we get the news on telly and they ha give it 20 seconds or 30 seconds for each article. Yeah? And the chances are that when somebody asks you about your story, you need to give them enough information to put that salt on their tongue. But you need to do it in as short and as concise a possible way. So I don't want you writing a book. I want you writing one or two sentences on each of those headings. Okay? Try and do it without the religious language. Yeah. The last question is, what difference has being a Christian made to your life? The middle one should leave, you know, how you became a Christian. You should put in as simpler terms that someone could go home and do it themselves. You know, there's a great example of this in Acts 26 where Paul shares with King Agrippa his story. And he hangs it on these same three headings.
just give you another minute. <laughs> Hello. As I say, there's a great example of this in Acts uh, 26, I think it is. Yeah, Acts 26. Paul tells his story. And in verses 4 to 11, he starts off by using the first heading, what his life was like beforehand. He says about his growing up, that he was a Pharisee, that he was convinced that he should do everything possible to oppose the teachings of Jesus, including putting Christians in prisons and condemning them to death. So he starts off on the first heading, then he moves into the second heading and he shares how he became a Christian, his conversion. He says in these verses, he relates uh, verses 12 to 18, how he came to Christ. He tells of how he was on the road to Damascus to persecute the Christians when Christ appeared to him and appointed him to be a spokesman and a servant for him. And then he finishes up on his third heading and says, what difference being a Christian has made to his life? He says to them that instead of opposing Christ, he's now preaching Christ. And he just shares with King Agrippa. And he finishes off by asking King Agrippa a question. He says, does this make sense to you? And I think when we share our story, it's always a good to think about a question that we can ask people. So we throw the ball back in their court, you know. So, you know, you've shared your story. You might say, can you relate to any of this? Often I share my story because somebody said something to me that I think, oh, your life's very similar to mine, you know. And I'll share something and they say, yeah, I can. And then they start to tell you about themselves. And you say, well, you know, God can make it. Then you, it gives you the opportunity. You're building, you know, that, that this, this becomes a two-way thing rather than you just preaching at them. Frankie, do you want to come and share your story with us? What you got written down? Come on. <laughs> sure, okay. Thank you. I wasn't expecting. No, no, I know. I normally have some matches. I normally say that you should be able to tell your story in the time it takes you for a match to burn down. So that normally focuses people. We haven't got a match today, so I'll just give you two minutes. Christian. My life was a mess. Um, I say that because I didn't actually have any <coughs> sense of purpose or where I was actually going. And you know, the interesting thing was that I actually had a breakdown with my family. Relationship with my, my dad was troubled. Uh, so much so that I ended up leaving home. I was homeless. And uh, 
quite interesting is this. At that time, when I was vulnerable, was when my friend came to me. My friend, uh, two friends in fact, one was a Muslim, one was a Christian. The Muslim one came to me and said, look, here's a leaflet, read about my uh, you know, religion, which is Islam. So, you know, think about it. <coughs> and I thought, hmm, interesting. And he came back the following day and said, look, I've got a place for you to stay, a place that um, will be with a friend, um, you know, boiler room, I remember this. So I accepted. But the interesting thing was to me was um, after accepting it, uh, I wasn't comfortable. I went with him to the mosque. I didn't think that was for me. And on that time where I needed to make a decision where my other friend called Daniel came to me and said, you know what, do you want to come to my church? So that's how I ended up um, having, having the first experience with Christians. Now, um, I think the other question was, uh, how did you become a Christian? You've heard it. I became a Christian when I first came couple of times, I wouldn't say the first time, when I heard the gospel, it didn't really mean anything to me. Uh, I think I heard it when Pastor Joseph was preaching. The third time I heard him, I thought, hmm, I'm not sure. First of all, I don't even like the way he looks. I don't even like the way he sounds. Um, I mean, I told him this, so. <laughs> and I thought, the fourth time I was there, I thought, let me actually listen to what this man is saying. So then I opened my, my, my heart. I paid attention, and I heard something that I've never heard before. So refreshing, edified my spirit, and it was then I thought, I saw myself going forward, <coughs> surrounded my heart, well, put my hands up and surrendered to God. That's how I became a Christian. Now, after I became a Christian, what, was my, what difference has it made in my life? Difference has been immensely. I mean, I found my wife for a start. So my wife and she left. So that is it. That's a plus. You know, it's amazing. Um, and you know, also you guys, I made friends, feel more like connected, had a family, and also you know, I've grown to love God. I've grown to appreciate more of what God is about, and also as a result, I want to share to others, and that's my story. Mm. Okay. Well done. Do you think there was anything that Frankie said that people wouldn't understand? Do you think they'd understand gospel? Frankie said, I heard the gospel. Yeah, well, that shows how we are. You know, you all say that. Yeah, everyone would understand. Yeah, we have this Christianese. We're so familiar with it, we don't even recognize it. What is gospel to somebody who's never been to church? Pastor. What is pastor? You know, they might, you know, the, whenever I say about pastor, did you say pastor? What's that? You know, huh? we have to get rid of this religious. Huh? What was it? There was something else about, uh, I felt elevated in my spirit. <laughs> Sorry? Edified. Edified in my spirit. Well, well, you might just get that, but, you know, I, I think, you know, we need to try and remove as many of those sort of those things, Christianese. Anyone else want to come and share your story? Go on, you can. Yeah, you're a guest. We're, we treat guests the same as we treat in-house people. <laughs> so.
Yes, you can. Become a Christian? How did I become a Christian? Um, I've known of Christ since I was a child, like I said. Um, and uh, I've known he, he loved me. I've known of his peace. And I've always been to church. Um, and I've always felt his presence and his touch. Yes. <laughs> Nobody <laughs> will understand that. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, and I just knew that he's the only person and he's the only life that would ever satisfy me and um, I just wanted to stick with that um, what difference has it made in, in my life well I'm truly happy and even when I'm going through a hard time or you know something yeah even though when I'm going through hardship it feels like it feels amazing because I know I'm going to come out the other side blessed yeah. very good the, the only thing I would say about this one was, you obviously recognize some things, but it wasn't really clear how you actually became a Christian, what you did. You know? and, and we want to, if we're sharing that bit, just in an easy way, share, you know, if it was just, well, I prayed, I prayed and said, God, I don't want to do it my own way, I want to do it your way, please help me. If it's as simple as that, then, yeah. anyone else? One of you older ladies. Come on then, come on, yeah. <laughs> Sundays, I don't go to church anymore, but 
when I had my children, I did what my parents did. I, I was still going to go to church and, you know, participate in church and sing, sing when they were doing it. And then um, I, I was praying to God, he said, please, show me the right church to go. I wasn't interested. I, I, didn't, I wasn't reading Bible anymore. I wasn't going to church anymore. I was working on Sundays. But I kept praying, I said, please, please, show me the right church. Show me the right church to go, you know. So um, my children, we were going to church this next door to us, and we were happy there. All of a sudden, they changed, you know, and they were going to a youth in Scotland, and they were going to um, Venice, you know. They were there, so I was worried, really. I said, oh, now they're going to go off me before I can control them, go and do this, do this. But no, they didn't change. They, they just went off again, going to another church, which I've never had that, you know. And then I, I didn't want to um, challenge them. Uh, you know, I just kept quiet. I didn't know what it meant by praying. You know, I just go to church, come back, put my Bible where it is, and that's it. So I didn't pray over it, but what I was praying is, God, to show me the right church to go. So one day they told me, Mom, an evangelist. And I used to tell them, oh, don't go to that church. Now they want to deceive you and make you to do things you were not supposed to do, you know. <laughs> they said, Mom, an evangelist is coming to God. And when I heard they were going to Pentecostal church, I was really, really troubled because <laughs> I thought it was just white garment church because I didn't know the difference, you know. <laughs> so when they came back, they said, Mommy, an evangelist is coming to God in our church. We would like you to come. I said, okay, I'm an evangelist. So they were there. I obeyed them. I followed them to church. Um, I went to church. I came here to Grace Granite Church. And then um, I listened to the five whoever is the pastor there. <laughs> 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 and I can be stubborn and strong. Well, I said to them, I'm going to play this shit out. <laughs> so anyway, we came to church. We are struggling with time. Our pastor came from Sheffield. And he was struggling with time as well. I think we all pushed him to the door at the same time. So I, I wouldn't say he knew somebody, you know. So when we came to uh, the service, he was preaching and he was dealing with us. And they told us that the pastor's mom, and he threw one to the pastor's mom. I said, hey, you see, they're corrupt. You know? <laughs> <laughs> the pastor's mom and nobody there. So I was surprised. <laughs> and then um, he started preaching. mentioned something about the door, the priest and door. So I thought nobody seen the door. I was happy with my children when they weren't going to a hard time, you know. And then he preached. And then I drove, drove. I could see how they used tongues, you know. I said, that's too too much for me. So I went home. They said, next Sunday, Mommy, do you want to come to church today? I said, yes. Pastor Joe was preaching, and then I had surrendered to God and gave my life to Christ back then. And the difference it has made in my life, I found joy in Christ, and I know the meaning of what I'm doing. I have a relationship with God, and I'm so happy. And 
that joy has given me the um, privilege to get excited to share my joy with other people. <coughs> Excellent. Thank you. It's interesting because as we do this exercise, you know, it's good to do this more. Uh, you you pick you can pick up on things. I'm sure you know. We heard I, I heard it a couple of times. The word dominion, w w dominion, God's dominion. W what does that mean? To I mean, we might somebody might understand, but it, it might be religious. And and again, you know, you prayed. How did you pray? You, know, you prayed and asked God to become in your life. How did you pray? I'd say just that. Uh, who was it? You. Put your hand up. Come on in. And you come in. If, if you're right. I think you're all being very bold. Well done. So, um, what was my life for us being Christian? So, for me, um, to put it in a title, I would say my life was um, a lost spectator. So, um, I'll fully put it in. So, basically, I grew up in a family, um, a Christian home. My mum was a Christian. My dad wasn't. So, the unbalance was there. But I never realised until later. But, um, so I always saw it as um, mum would take us all to church, um, family of six of us, mum would take us all to church, we all got dragged to church, but I had no prayer. So we go to church, everyone's singing, clapping, and you're just sitting there just looking, what am I doing here? Oh, well, I have no prayer to be here, I'm, I'm here and here, so. And that was every Sunday, some days, Tuesday nights, Wednesday nights, Thursday nights, Friday nights, which is the norm, the norm, the norm. So I just grew up spectating, different <coughs> churches, different worship places, so you just grew up thinking, cool, well, you know what, if I'm here, then I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, I'm here, no problem. That was normal for me. Um, and that's literally just the way I grew up, really. So I just grew up continuing to be lost, not knowing what's going on, going places for the sake of going, not by choice. And then the more I grew up, I said to myself, you know what, I'm going to church, but I still don't know who I am. You know what I'm saying? I still don't know what's going on. So that was me. Um, how did I become a Christian? Along the lines, I started to be mentored, um, which gave me a larger perception of everything more of an understanding into who I was, why I'm, why I'm here, purpose, and it gave me a huge hope, which I didn't acknowledge until sometimes I think back to where I was, and I say to myself, well, I've actually come quite away, and it's only been like a year, and it'd be like, this is weird, like, okay, cool, let's see how this goes, um, and then started reading more <coughs> books, I don't like reading books, still to today, I don't like reading books, I, I'm, I'm a PhD person, but um, I started reading more books, and I said, this is, this is definitely something different, something different about me, so I'm going to start reading books, and then um, things just started to change, weirdly, just wake up and I just like, I want to read a book, I'd, I'd say, yeah, thank you Jesus, da, 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 but I wanted to read a book even more, into perception, into purpose, identity, and everything started to make more sense, mm. and I'll still be going to church, still be going to church, still be going to church, um, and then, um, so how did I become a Christian, yeah, so, and then, um, it was that refresh 2009, so literally, and I became a Christian, taking myself away from my own friends. So when a lot of my friends didn't come with grace, it was just me. It was me taking my own steps and being like, you know what, Lord, I just want to just drop everything right now. I'm going to, it sounds it sounds a bit mad, but I just feel like stripping down right now and just being like, you know what, you just take over because right now, I don't know what's going on. Okay, I don't know what's going on with myself. Um, I'm about to go to uni. I don't know if I want to do it. I'm about to do this. I don't know if I want to do it. So right now, I just put it all in your hands and I literally raise my hands and um that day, I never felt the same again from that moment. That was the, the changing all like that. Boom, like boom, 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 but it just felt amazing. And um, what's changed since I've become a Christian is um, fulfillment. Ever since I've become a Christian, um, a lot of things make sense. A 
a lot of things make sense. There may be a few things that don't make sense, but after you, you wait, you ask, sometimes it's like, all right, okay, I see it. I see where you're going with that. All right, no problem, no problem, no problem. And um, there's a greater reason to everything. There's almost straight around every single corner. Like you speak to someone, sometimes you come across people for a reason. Every single person is like, wow, that, w- that was you. All right, I know that was definitely, that was definitely. All right, cool, no problem. Well, let's keep going, let's keep going. And there's just fulfillment in everything, every single step, everything made more sense. And um, the fact that there was always something to learn, that was, it was always like, it's, like, it's almost like God has so many boxes that you need to just open up and be like, oh, right, I didn't know that. Thank you very much. I'll, I'll run with that and let's go. And um, the fact that there was a greater purpose in my life as well. Growing up, I said to myself, you know, things don't make no sense. Like I said, I'm going for the sake of going. But when he gave me a purpose, it was like, all right, I definitely know I'm here for a reason then. I've got identity now. All right, cool. Let's do this. Let's go. And um, yeah, that's how I Excellent. It's good, wasn't it? Good. I, the only thing I would say about yours is, is people might not know what Refresh is, so you, you might need to explain that. Say, I went to this conference, rather than say, I went to Refresh, you know? Um, and I think it, it's real, you know? And I, I would encourage you, as part of your preparation, work on these three headings. Now, you know, yesterday I told you how I, did th- I do this apologetic evangelism. When you get home from this conference, what I would like you to do is write out your story and then find one of your non-Christian friends and say, I was at this conference at the weekend and this guy really put us under pressure to do this. You couldn't help me out, could you? Because I need to know whether somebody who doesn't go to church would understand my story. Could you help me out by reading my story, what I've written, and tell me whether you understand everything in it? We lost the power. <laughs> we haven't, because the fan's still going. It's just the lights we've lost. Lighting circuit's gone. But, um, and then, you know, do it with your friends. You know, share, if you're a couple, share it with your wife. Share it with your husband. Ask them to look at your story and critique it. Like we've done just gently today, point out the things that perhaps wouldn't make sense to a non-Christian. And just polish it a little bit. Don't, you know, be real. You know, um, Christian life isn't always easy. You know, I say, you know, when I, be- when I became a Christian, it's changed everything. It gave me a hope and a future. Uh, but I, I'll often say to people, that doesn't mean it's always easy. But whereas beforehand I had no one there with me, now I always have someone there with me. You know, because I think sometimes I, I came to Christian, became a Christian, what I called the cherry pie ministry. You know, come to Jesus and everything will be wonderful. Well, I understood two weeks later that just wasn't true. You know, big shock. You know, come to Jesus, the problems were still there. But what I realised was Jesus was there with me in the problems and helped me work my way through them. So I think we have to be real with people with our story. You know, you can if you just tell them all the good things. You know, they've got a waffle monitor and that sort of thing. Oh, it can't be that good. You know, and then they'll be looking to knock you off your pillar because they know it's not good. And that one day they'll come to you, oh, well, you said it was all wonderful and look what you're in now, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, part of our testimony, you know, Kim was diagnosed with terminal cancer two years ago. And part of our testimony now is, well, it doesn't matter because you know, we're seeing God do something different. You know, people sort of constantly say, well, how, how are you coping? You know, and I said, well, because it's not the end for us, you know. And uh, 
And in that, you know, we've moved from a terminal diagnosis to a long life diagnosis, you know. And that's a, a great story to be able to tell people who are, you know, in that situation. You don't have to accept everything you're being told, you know. It's tough to go through it, but if you know God's on your side, he can change things. You know, so. Okay. Keep it short as well. I thought you all did really well. You were less than two minutes, all of you. With I was timing you if you hadn't noticed. And that's good. Because you can, if people ask questions, you can always expand. Tell them more. But you, if you get that opportunity and it's just that short time, you need to be able to get the important facts in. And as you practice, just coming up and sharing it here, you, young lady here, just said, oh, they wouldn't understand what that was. So just by speaking it out, she realized, I need to change that. I need to change the way I put that. I'm sure some of you, as you listen to people giving their, their stories, you thought, oh, actually, they could have done that better if they'd said that. Well, think about the way you do it. Because if you get the important facts over to people, then you, know, you leave them with that sort. They'll be wanting to ask more. And uh, if they don't, well, then you've shared your story. You've put the flag up, said, I'm a believer. This is what's happened in my life. And a as they come to, maybe it might be years later, they might come to you and say, hey, you said all this. That you, how's that working for you now? You know, I've had that happen to me on numerous occasions. I had a guy that was in the motorcycle gang with me found me on Facebook about a year ago. And I hadn't seen him in 30 years. And we started talking about faith. He said, are you still a Christian? So I said, yeah, why do you ask? He said, well, you know, things are happening in my life. He was going through a divorce and, and things. He said, and I've started thinking about all the things you used to say to us. Yeah? And you don't know what power. Problem, Frankie? It's just our light's uh, gone out, well, is it? It's not a problem, but it's just, yeah, maybe. Yeah. yeah, it's just a breaker somewhere. We finished anyway, so we're okay. No, don't worry. It's a, it's somebody's done it to remind me to finish. Because <laughs> we went over time yesterday. Okay. So, guys, I would encourage you, don't leave it here. Practice with someone else. Yes? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, he's still going through a divorce. But we're, co you know, that conversation, he hasn't got saved yet. But um, we're having that conversation. And what the point I was making really is I, he got a very brief amount of my story because when I first got saved, I just told everyone. I mean, I actually got kicked out of my house because my mum and dad said to me, we cannot cope with you living here anymore. You know, you've turned into a religious nut. And they threw me out on the street. You know, I was in a motorcycle gang. I didn't come home at night, some nights. Other nights, you know, you know I, I was doing crazy things. And they never worried about any of that. But the moment I became a Christian and cleaned up my act, I got kicked out on the street, you know, and literally was homeless. You know. uh, but, I mean, in that time, it was just before the church said to me I'd got to stop meeting with my non-Christian friends. And there was some truth in that. I was still getting up to some pretty dodgy stuff, you know. Uh, and they thought by separating me from my friends, it would separate me from those sinful things in my life. But actually, it just stopped my friends having an opportunity to hear more of what God was doing, because my life was changing at a rapid pace. But he had seen enough to start asking questions. And we still talk on Facebook. And he said to me the other day, he's living down in the West Country, he said to me, he said, it'd be good for us to meet up. And I thought, yeah, we'll do it. We'll do it. You know?
And my ex-fiance contacted me the other day, you know, the girl that actually led me to Jesus. She had seen that I'd written a book. Uh, she's completely backslidden now. Seen that I'd read it, written a book and said, hey, what's this book about? You know, so I said, oh, it's about what you did to my life, you know. You changed my life. You know, you led me into a relationship with Christ. And she, oh, oh, cut off the conversation. But yeah. Right? So, uh, yeah. You yeah, I, when I became a Christian, you know, um, and uh, they kicked me out, it was, it was a really tough one because soon after that I read this passage which said that you should honor your father and mother. And I realized I'd blown it big time with them. You know, I just hammered them. Every opportunity I hammered them. You know, I wasn't wise in the way I acted towards them. I just told them they were sinners and going to hell. And, you know, and, and I said, Lord, you have to forgive me for that. And I prayed for them. And they banned, they'd actually banned me from talking about the gospel ever again when they kicked me out. They said, you can come in, because I sort of, after I became a Christian, I went back and apologized. And they said, well, you're, you, we can't come back and live but you can come round for meals and things on occasions, but you can only come if you don't talk about God. And I realized I blew it big time, and I prayed. And over 40 years, well, no, 30 years, God kept on bringing Christians into their lives. And periodically, they would come up to me with a tract and say, oh, somebody gave us this, but it's for you, because you're religious, you know. I said, no, they gave it to you. And then they would tell me the story of how they got this, how these Christians, they were stuck in mud, how these Christians got down in all their nice clothes and dug them out of the muddy thing and pushed the car out and got them on the road and all this sort of thing. And amazing things. And in their 80s, they both became Christians. My mum had a near-death experience. Yeah. She went into hospital to have her breast removed because she had breast cancer. And the doctors told us that uh, they could get her through the operation, but three days afterwards shock could set in and that shock could kill her and sure enough three days later we went into hospital and the bread had all the curtains around it there were doctors and nurses running in and out and we said what's going on they said your mother's had a major heart attack and we're trying to revive her her words were i was laying in bed looking at the picture of my great-grandson on the bedside table she said somebody i suddenly i felt somebody grab the collar of my bedgown she said i was dragged from the bed i thought that the man who was in the, it was a mixed ward, the man who was in the bed next to me who was, had gone a bit loopy, was just going mad and was dragging her out of bed. But she said, instead of falling on the floor, I was dragged through the ceiling. And she said, I saw this, behind me, I could feel this brilliant white light that was burning my flesh. And she'd been an atheist her whole life, she said to me, she said, I knew that I was being dragged before God to be judged. I said, really, mum? She said, yes. And she said, uh, I knew that I wasn't ready. So she said, I got down on my hands and knees and I dragged myself back to the picture of my great-grandson. And this is all happening, you know. And she said, then I felt this immense pain run through my body. I opened my eyes and the doctor standing over me with the electric paddles, having just shot my heart and brought me back to life. She said, what do you think that means? I said, I think 30 years ago, I told you what it means, mum. I said, I think you know what's happening. And from that, she gave her life to Jesus after that. And uh, she recovered. And for two years, she told everybody this story. And when she, two years later she died, I preached at her funeral from her vision. And my dad, who was completely deaf, um, because he had been a, a tail gunner in a Wellington bomber in the Second World War and had lost his hearing, 
uh, I put everything up on PowerPoint so he could read. <laughs> and two days after a funeral, he gave his life to Jesus. So, you know, you know, we might blow it at times, but God still has a plan. And, you know, I'm immensely grateful that, you know, even though I blew it, God had a plan for my parents. And we prayed for them for 30 years, and they did come to know Jesus, both of them. And I know one day I'll be reunited with them in glory. So, you know, amen. Bless you. Thank you.